Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. Hi everybody and my name's Dan Moss, Manager of the Practice Development Team at Emerging Minds and today it's my absolute pleasure to facilitate this very special podcast and the reason why it's so special is that it's our 100th podcast in the series of infant and children's mental health podcasts that we have been bringing to you over the past four years. So as part of that, we thought we'd be a little bit indulgent and have a celebration podcast, which is what we're bringing to you today. And we're really happy to be bringing you this because when we first started this podcast series about four years ago, we really weren't sure how they were going to go. We knew that there was a great thirst out there from practitioners for e-learning and practice papers and webinars. But this concept of bringing to life the stories of regular practitioners or child and family partners, we weren't really sure uh, whether there was a thirst out there for that. But today we're, we're really happy to be able to report that regularly our podcasts at the moment are attracting over 7,000 listens per month. And as we've gone along, what we've come to know from practitioners is that there is a real hunger in a sense to be listening to the real life practice stories or in fact the real life lived experience of people around children and infant mental health. Today I'm really pleased to be joined by two very special guests, both of whom have been part of the journey over the last four years in developing our podcasts. And they are Rosie Shellen, who is our Senior Cultural Development Officer at Emerging Minds, and Chris Dolman, who's our Senior Practice Development Officer at Emerging Minds. So Rosie, welcome to our very special 100th podcast. In your journey within podcasts and of course all of your practice development content over the past four years in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander space, can you just tell us a little bit about your journey throughout that time? Oh, that's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Thought I'd start with a big one. It's been a bit of a tricky journey, I suppose, because um, I'm actually a non-Aboriginal person and being responsible for the development of the content regarding Aboriginal communities is a really hard balance for me. So I'm always um, really aware that my voice is not the voice that needs to be heard. So this is really a bit unusual for me to be even here talking today. So the journey for me has been every podcast that we we develop around working with communities is not just about practitioner, it's about experience. Every Aboriginal person that I interview comes with beautiful stories, hard stories, challenging stories, but also a certain amount of knowledge and skills and every podcast to me I learn something from. So it's been a really honouring journey for me because I've been able to give a platform for these amazing stories. Yeah, thanks, Rosie. And um, within that, you talk about experience. I feel like from what I've heard and and heard from you that we've been very lucky and and fortunate to hear so much rich experience from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people within our podcasts. Yeah, definitely, definitely. For me, that's community. If you actually give the opportunity for Aboriginal people to have a voice, that they're so generous and giving with that and, you know, the guidance that they give us with each story that they tell. And I think that that's been probably for me the biggest honour because I get to hear amazing stories from people like Arnie Judy Atkinson and Catherine Chamberlain and, you know, like these amazing people that also have that lived experience of being an Aboriginal person and being part of a system or a, a community that's been basically oppressed. 
And I know that within the, the work that you've done, collaboration with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, a big key message that's been central to all of that work is just the skill of non-Aboriginal practitioners and particularly of listening, of listening to story. Do you feel like being able to present these podcasts is a, a key strategy within you know, supporting non-Aboriginal people to listen? Yeah, definitely. So I've worked with community for like over 20 years now and I'm still on this amazing journey of learning where it's not, you know, like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities are just like us. You know, every person has a different experience, but there's there's a shared collective experience as well that goes along with that. So every story that I hear or every conversation that I have, be it with somebody that's been on our podcast or a child and family partner, um, just gives me so much more. So I think that I have been honoured because I get to hear these stories and I get to learn from them and I know that um, the worth of it. So the more that you hear and the more that you learn these experiences, the better it is for your practice and not only for you as a, um, a practitioner with Aboriginal children or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, but across the board, because I think that for me, it resonates, you know, um, social and emotional well-being and looking at the broader context of people's lives, the children's lives just makes sense. You can't, you know, put them into little boxes. So it just makes sense to me. Yeah, thanks, Rosie. Our other guest today is Chris Dolman and Chris is our Senior Practice Development Officer at Emerging Minds and Chris, like Rosie, has been involved in the development of podcasts over the past four years. Chris, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and experience within that over the last four years? Yeah, sure, Dan. Thanks very much. Um, Gee, when I think back over the last four years and the podcasts I've been involved with either as like interviewing folks or um, producing the podcasts themselves, I guess um, I just really think back to what a privilege it's been to be able to sit with people and hear about their passion and commitment for this work actually for improving the social emotional well-being of children and families. I think that's just really comes through so strongly. The interviews that I've done with people and also just the real uh, thoughtful ways that practitioners that we're surrounded by really that we never sort of otherwise would get to meet or get insights into their practice, you know, the skillful, careful ways they, they go about their work with children and families. Thanks, Chris. When we think about infant and child mental health and practice, we often hear about the barriers or what's not happening in that space. Has it meant something to you to be able to hear what actually is happening in this space and the, the innovative and very thoughtful practices that are being attempted across sectors? Sure. I think as I've spoken to many practitioners, I guess what I'm hearing about is how they're bringing existing ideas, ideas that they've come across or been introduced to through literature, through talking with other practitioners, through the feedback from clients and how they've brought that into their own context, you know, their own particular context in which they're working. And then by doing that, you know, something new gets created, doesn't it? You know, something, as you say, gets innovated or, or created. And these innovations and creations are in response to quite difficult circumstances, quite difficult circumstances that the families they're working with are facing, but also, you know, sometimes quite difficult circumstances in terms of maybe the systems or the structures that surround practitioners. You know, there's, I guess there's so many um, opportunities to feel a bit uh, sometimes, I don't know, defeated or weighed down by some of the systems and structures that surround us in our work. But I guess what I've been encouraged with, and not just intellectually, but encouraged with in terms of my own practice as well, actually, is how people find ways to navigate through those things. 
And I guess that kind of reflects, I think, probably one of the hopes we do have for these podcasts. It's not just about circulating knowledge or, you know, practice knowledge or understandings. It's also about circulating a sense of encouragement. But sure, working with children and families facing difficult times is not easy often, but uh, it's important and doable. And I think, yeah, there's some things that I've been, um, that, yeah, the people I've interviewed have really contributed to me as well. Thanks, Chris. And I know that you've been really closely involved with uh, some of the podcasts that we've done with child and family partners, people often with lived experience of adversity or lived experience of of their own or children's mental health conditions. Can you tell us a, a little bit about why that's been important to the Emerging Mind podcast series? Yeah, well, I guess it's been important for lots of different reasons, really. I guess um, the, the chief one that comes to mind for me is that the people that we're referring to, people with lived experience of whatever it is we're addressing in the podcast, you know, they have very particular local hard-won knowledge about what we're talking about, you know, inside knowledge, you know, the sort of knowledge that I don't have or our interviewers don't have or, or many of our many of the practitioners, I guess, that didn't listen to our podcast, you know, don't have. But this local inside hard-won Knowledge is precious because it can ultimately, if more widely circulated, can contribute to children's well-being. If we were to um, elevate it and rank it alongside other sources of knowledge that are perhaps generally more highly regarded in our professions. And so, yeah, I think that's what makes it significant. Yeah, so I guess that's you know something else I really enjoy, as I know you do too, Rosie, as you've just spoken about earlier, you know, creating space for people to uh, speak about those things that they know and have uh, learnt from their own lived experience. Thanks, Chris. Rosie, I'm going to ask you next, in thinking about the podcasts that you've done over the last four years, are there particular podcasts or particular themes that stand out for you as being particularly inspirational or or motivational? That's a really hard question to answer because each one gives me something. The themes that come across is hurt, um, the hurt that is experienced by you know, the practitioners, but community members that we have conversations about. And there was something that really was highlighted for me through this whole thing. But so there's that story of hurt, but there's also these amazing stories of connection that to me, and I've heard lots of stories and I've worked within the community for a long time, but each one touches me so deeply that I've actually re-listened to our podcasts and cried because just to be able to have somebody share that with you but there was one that was with um, I think it was a story of elder wisdom that was from the telethon kids with Arnie Millie and she was talking about you know children that are disconnected from culture from, from the child protection system and that she was at the shopping centre one day and she was telling, talking about this little girl that she'd seen and she was with a non-Aboriginal person and this child instinctively just ran up to, to her. She didn't know her and held her hand. Um, it was just that, to me, that spoke so much about connection and identity and the importance for children to be able to have that connection because that just, for me, was everything that we work for, you know, like how do we keep kids connected. So each story tells me something like that or with Nancy in a story of, I think it was a story of two ways learning um, when she talks about her father and her father who was a non-Aboriginal man, I think he was a Scottish man. And when she was removed and she was put into homes that he camped on on Parliament House for three years until they gave his kids back, you know, like these are stories that are just incredibly personal but teach so much at the same time about 
the things that communities do to hold that connection. So there's so much that stands out. Yes, there's a lot of hurt, but there's also a lot of, you know, just amazing strength and wisdom within Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander ways of being. I feel like I'm really lucky to hear each one of those experiences and to be able to share that with the broader community and the practitioners that we work with because each one of those stories is important for them to be able to consider because they're the families that they're working with that's the the colleague that they're working with so that's been really important to me yeah and you talk about the privilege to be able to share this with a wider audience and our aboriginal and torres strait islander podcasts are the most accessed podcasts that we have are our most popular podcasts does this give give you a sense of hope or uh, motivation that people are actually prepared and, and these stories are resonating with them? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, Dana, who works closely with me, we talk about it as a secret garden and that we have this secret garden, that community, when you actually are involved with community and you hear the stories and you know the connections, that you, you're seeing something that people don't see. You might go to work and work with community and they might be in crisis or they might have lots of challenges but they're coming with um, a presenting problem and as a practitioner we don't have allow that time to be able to hear those those other stories so we kind of talk about it in a way of the secret garden where we we're actually providing an opportunity and a platform for people to be able to hear those really amazing stories of resilience and that beauty that is within the community and if, if you ask um, and are curious and are considered when you're working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families they will be generous and give them to you and that will just enhance your practice across everything and that's been a really strong message for you to particularly to non-aboriginal practitioners that you don't need to be the most skilled practitioner in child and and family mental health it's around you know having that ability to sit and listen to be curious um, to take the time necessary to let these stories unfold because it's about relationships they actually don't care whether you've got a degree or if you're a social worker or if you're a psychologist they care about you as a person and whether you're going to honor their stories because it's a part of them so having that cuppa on the front porch um, uh, you know allowing time to be able to create the relationship give something of yourself these are all the things that come through all of our stories it's not about your work it's about you as a person and whether they actually want to um engage with you in a partnership relationship not one of just um, you're providing a service. Thanks Rosie. Chris I'm wondering if you have uh, any particular podcasts over the last four years or the last hundred episodes that kind of spring to mind or stand out for you in particular. Sure yeah there are certainly a few quite a few that uh, spring to mind. Maybe one I'll speak to is actually a series of interviews I didn't do but I sort of curated them together and this um, referring to a a couple of podcasts we did in relation to um, family domestic violence and child aware practice where we interviewed our colleague Ruth, shout out to Ruth, interviewed some practitioners who work with um, children and families, work with um, men and women facing issues of family violence as well as some other professionals in the field as well. And yeah, I guess what I kind of found myself appreciating as I was putting it together was just the you know very respectful and child-focused way that these uh, interviews spoke about their work, you know, working with mothers who've been living with family violence and its effects in their life and you know listening for for cues that these mothers might be um, speaking about or, or giving as ways of just you know so respectfully but just ordinarily in a way. 
way, just opening up conversations with mums about not only their experience of violence and abuse, but also their children's experience of that as well. Just in you know, not making a big big thing of it, but just something that was made it very easy, it seemed, for women to speak about these things in ways that weren't blaming or weren't shaming of them, but were also really honouring or acknowledging of um, you know the steps these mothers out there take to keep their children safe. So, yeah, I appreciated hearing about these skills, as well as um, the work that they did with men as well, you know, who are using violence and abuse in families and who want to stop doing that. You know, the conversations they'd have with those men about what's important to them as a father, as a partner as well, and, you know, ways that they would invite the man to consider the effects of their violence on their children in their life. But again, to do this in ways that was really on the side of uh, respect, but also on the side of, yeah, the safety, safety of children as well. And the, the ability of practitioners to be able to kind of talk about not even so much the skills but just their their curiosity, a bit like what, what Rosie was talking about, in people's um, lives and people's values that aren't necessarily only just related to the problem that they're having, mm-hmm. the, the values and skills and preferences and know-how, that seems to be a, a kind of common theme in, in some of the podcasts that we've listened to. Yeah, that's right, Dan. Certainly, you know, these conversations are very possible I think for all practitioners to have with um, with parents you know about what's important to them um, in terms of how they are as a parent you know some of the hopes they perhaps might have for their relationship with their children both now and also you know down the track as well you know that these conversations I think can make a incredible difference to how parents experience our work with them you know, if they've had a chance to speak about these things that are important to them you know these things that kind of make them tick as a parent, and I think it makes other conversations about, about more difficult topics are more possible. I think it can be a great antidote to experiences of, of shame and blame when we give our parents a chance to speak about these values and hopes and, and what's important to them. And, um, you know, I think this, this links up so cleanly with what's important in terms of the ideas that we circulate through emerging minds as well in terms of well, our emphasis on children's mental health and well-being, but on, you know, being relentless in our pursuit of respectful practice with parents that can really be honouring um, what they stand for in their parenting as well. Yeah. Is it something to do with how our practitioners and child and family partners have, have helped us to think about mental health um, as well? That, um, And I think back to the recent podcast of Penny C, a psychologist who talks about getting children their best life and talks about uh, mental health as being about a, a living a rich, meaningful life, not just coping when things are tough. Those sorts of things, uh, offerings that we get from practitioners that maybe motivate us to think about the whole of child or the whole of parent rather than just those aspects of them that aren't going so well. That's right. I mean, how can we, yeah, we, we need to sort of understand all of those things and, and not just understand it. It's not about our understanding. It's about actually giving the families we're working with a chance to, to speak about them and know, know it more fully for themselves, what they stand for or um, other aspects of their life, you know, to create context you know, I know, Rosie, um, you speak a lot about, you know, how can we create context? Uh, you and your colleagues that you work with uh, as part of the reference group, you know, how can we create context in our conversations for healing with people, you know? And Aboriginal people have long known the value of telling stories of connection, create context for healing. And so there's so much we can learn, I think, from uh, Aboriginal practitioners and uh, Aboriginal communities about that. You know, how can we also in our work create context for people to speak not just about problems that they're facing, but also um, these other stories of connection and what's important to them. 
Thanks, Chris. So we've talked a little bit about the first 100 podcasts in what will hopefully be a very uh, long-standing um, series of podcasts from Emerging Minds. But what's next is my next question. So Rosie, what do you think is possible in the next 100 podcasts, you know, particularly as they pertain to, to working with community? You know, how would you like to involve community members and practitioners and child and family partners in the work that we do in this space? what we're listening to and how we're bringing stories of hope and as well as hurt to practitioners across Australia? Well, I think the first 100 podcasts and specifically my podcast that I've been working on has been really setting a foundation for voice of listening and honouring experience. So we've tried to give a really um, strong foundation for that. So lots of different experiences of stolen generation, lots of different experiences of trauma. But um, for me, into the future, I'm really wanting to look at some of those amazing things that are happening in communities because there's so many things that are happening that we don't always get the opportunity to hear about. And some of the stuff that's happening in the Northern Territory around supporting children in language to support their identity and what that's meant and, and examples, some stuff that's happening at Children's Ground. And they're really seeing the benefits of language and including that in in all the work that they do. And they're seeing the benefits within the education system and children's wellbeing and identities. So um, I'm hoping, like I said, the first series of podcasts is really about hearing story and experiences of lots of different areas. But um, I'm really hoping into the future to be able to start really um, showcasing those really amazing stories from around supporting children. You know, that's what we're all here for and our hopes for children to grow strong in culture and, and identity and language and culture and country. So they're the stories I'm hoping to be sharing. Yeah. And for podcast listeners or to people who are interested in emerging minds, in particular Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander practitioners or community members, how can they get involved in the development of not just our podcast series but of our content more generally? Yeah, just reach out. We generally work on different topics. There's lots of different things that we're working on at the moment. So we're doing some work around Aboriginal fathers and the amazing stories of dads that are doing really great. So, you know, there's a, there's a broad range. We've done some stuff on family violence. We're doing some work on child protection. So if you want to share some of this amazing stuff that's happening in community, yeah, just get in contact with us and we'd really love to have, have people involved. Thanks, Rosie. Chris, what about for you? What are your hopes to develop this podcast series even further and to include offerings that we have from, from practitioners or child and family partners across the country? Well, there's a couple of things, I think, Dan, that come to mind. Uh, one is, um, I reckon it'd be, one of my hopes, I guess, is that we find other ways of uh, bringing children's voices into these podcasts more as well. You know, we've found some creative ways to do that in our e-learning content but I think finding ways to bring uh, children's perspectives, children's voices more into what we do would be into this particular podcast form of our content would be significant and important. And I guess the other thing that comes to mind too is, um, and it echoes some of the comments Rosie was just making, I guess another hope that I have is around the um, even further diversity of uh, people that uh, are speaking you know, on these podcasts as well, whether we we can think about diversity in all sorts of different planes of identity, I guess. Yeah, but I think there'd be many different ways where we could bring much more diverse voices to our content as well. So that's another one of the hopes that I have. And I'd just like to also build on the invitation that Rosie 
put out and extend it more broadly, I guess, you know, that if you're listening to this podcast and you have a colleague um, either in your organisation or, or beyond whose work you really respect and enjoy and think this deserves to get out there and be circulated, we'd love to hear from you and partner with you in that and um, bring that idea to fruition. So um, if you know someone in that boat who you think, uh, yeah, it'd be great to, if their ideas were getting out there more, yeah, please uh, get in contact with us. We'd love to have an initial chat with you and see what we could do. And these are not practitioners who have to have the problem completely solved either, are they? They can be practitioners who are, you know, every day working with the challenges that we all face in in children's and and infants' mental health. That's right, and they're finding really respectful, skilled, child-focused ways of doing this work that ultimately support children's wellbeing. So, um, and and are doing it in innovative ways or in diverse contexts as well. Yeah, thanks so much, Rosie and Chris. I've really uh, enjoyed hearing a little bit about your experiences over the last four years and the first hundred podcasts. And yeah, just echoing Rosie and Chris's sentiments, uh, it's been great working with all of the practitioners and community members and child and family partners who have contributed so generously to the offerings that we've been able to be able to make to you know over 7,000 listeners per month. So before we close off, there are some uh, special thanks that we do need to give in our 100th episode. To Sophie, who facilitated so many of our first podcasts, did such a wonderful job in um, creating a context for people to be able to share their experiences, both in practice and their lived experience, and we're really indebted to her for developing the podcast series. To Dana, who's worked so well with Rosie to bring the stories of hope as well as hurt from Aboriginal community members and practitioners to our Emerging Minds listeners. We thank her so much for her generous and insightful contribution and also behind the scenes we really need to thank Val and more recently Josh for their work in providing such great technical wisdom and know-how because without them we certainly wouldn't be able to do that. We're going to sign off now. Chris and Rosie, once again, thank you so much for joining me. To all of you that listen to our podcast so regularly, please keep listening. Please provide us advice where you think we need it and thank you so much. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.